Hello and welcome to the If We Knew Then podcast. I'm Stephen Sox. And I'm Lori Sox. And we are in the middle of October Down Syndrome Awareness Month. Down Syndrome Awareness has evolved, I believe as a whole over the years, what it meant to society, what it meant to the individual with Down Syndrome, what it meant to their families. I know that it has definitely evolved in our lives what even the meaning of awareness, Down syndrome awareness, what its definition and its impact, how we advocated for it, what we advocated for when we talked about awareness. And I think that that changes. I think it can, uh, it can transform over a lifetime as we learn and as we grow, as society changes and evolves as a whole, especially with diversity and inclusion being now a topic on everybody's tongue, something that we all talk about, and it means something to so many. Inclusion isn't just a light that is shined on a specific group as an adamant request or advocating for their inclusion. Inclusion is something that as a whole, we're starting to learn the lack of inclusion in the world, in life, on your own block, in your own family. The damage that that can cause, the damage that it causes, the trauma, the scars, the challenges, the barriers, the burdens. As we evolve, the definition and the importance and the access has become something that we we all can participate in, which is... the definition of inclusion. It's something that it's not for them. It's for all of us because the benefit of inclusion is for all of us. And so long we've been fed the point of view that inclusion is for the person fighting to be included. But inclusion is for everyone because if you bring it back to when you were a child playing whatever sport that you played in whatever elementary education that you had, that inclusion was a part of your vocabulary, no matter who you were. When will I be picked? Will I be picked? Throw me the ball. Let me play. So inclusion has been there for all of us at the foundation And now, on our journey with our son who has Down syndrome, inclusion was like a wrecking ball 
coming and knocking down our house. Rather, the lack of inclusion, the understanding that that existed. We didn't know. We didn't know. How would we know unless we were on this journey? How would we know the fight that individuals with Down syndrome have for their education? How would we know how aggressively school districts will fight to keep our children away from everyone else? How would we know where those thoughts were born and how they took hold if this was not our path? And at various times, awareness has been, awareness campaign has been more, I don't, I don't, what would you say? Like just being aware, being aware that really for a long time, proving our son's right to, at the bare bones, be in a classroom, be present, be allowed to be with his peers. We've experienced that individuals who are not on this path don't understand that reality. And they're fortunate for that. What the awareness means to me this year is bringing awareness to that fact. So that it can change. Putting eyes, ears, mouths, the strength of others who aren't on this journey, who aren't fighting the fight to have allies and advocates And to not protect the bullies. You know, what was really one of the hardest things when we left Liam's elementary school, which denied him his right to FAPE, ultimately, which is why we left. But consistently along the way from the moment he entered their doors, made him and therefore us fight for his place and right in the classroom. I mean, it was a fight. Those IEPs were, what is it? Knockout, drag down, drag out, knockout. Mm, yeah. They're, they were nausea-inducing. Marathons. Yeah, they were. They were. And that is a form of bullying where they would we were paying for a lawyer and they would make them so the meetings were so long at 1.21 hours over uh, how many days just yes and at the time because we were a part of the fight we didn't realize how abusive and inappropriate that was we were just showing up and it makes sense that some people can't show up for that there are obligations, there are other reasons, and it's exhausting. And I don't, I think, I don't, I don't know where that power came from. I don't know where that strength came from to sit in those meetings. And I don't even know if it was strength because I just remember just being so beaten up. Yeah, I don't, didn't feel strong. I didn't. I didn't feel strong. I just felt like Jimmy Stewart in that movie where he... Philip filibusters where what happens? he goes to Mr. Mr. Smith goes to Washington or something. Oh, where he yeah. Just no, filibusters. No, right. Filibuster. Yeah. I'm going to go. I'm going to sit you were there. Filibuster was the name of the movie. No, that's. <laughs> yeah. Well, you just sit there. I'm just going to talk, talk, talk 
until I just, the time, we're, we're out of time. And it wasn't talk, talk, talk. Like I, we had to educate ourselves. We had to have a lawyer with us. We had to get that IEP and we had to read every line because if the line you didn't read was the one that omitted his services, the line that you didn't read was the one who forgot to put in his summer school, the line you didn't read was the one who said, we're not responsible if while in services, he misses his education. So you had to read everything. We had to read every single line and we had to do so much homework and make so many notes. So that's why they took so long is because we went through every single point and we stopped them on every single point and it was exhausting. Some of the hardest videos to watch were um, the videos that I made, the vlog that I made recording our IEPs before and after and just looking at how frightened and broken I was. No parent no guardian should feel that way about an education, about elementary school, to just be broken. But I guess we weren't broken because we continued to stand up, whether we were limping or not, backs against the rope. Now that we found a placement for Liam that is inclusion, that sees our son, not as Liam the boy with Down syndrome, but is Liam, the student at the, the school. Student. He's the student. The classmate. The friend. Remember we used to bring a picture? I mean, this is something that a lot of parents are told to do at an IEP. Bring a picture, a photo of your child so that everyone can see that photo and, and put it in the middle of the table. So we're like, hey, we're working toward this, these goals for this child. Like to keep it on a direction like it should always be in that direction. If I have to remind you who my son is for like Isn't four... Isn't that crazy that we just... I just ate that up and said, oh, that's okay, what we here's do. here's a picture. That's what we do. How many times did we cry? Yeah, how, how many times did we have to reinforce the fact of why we were there for this child, for the, for the betterment of this human and his education? See this child as we're seeing this photo. Not, not, you know, whatever ideas they keep, they would give us to say why we couldn't do certain things or why they didn't see that as being a way, a path to go, you know, why he needs to be out of the classroom or. Why they had a voice in telling us who our child was going to be is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And just know the burden of proof is on them. And discrimination is real and call them on every corner that they cut in the name of discrimination. Because if they're treating your child differently based solely on his disability or their disability, that's discrimination. If you're not giving my child the same right, it, it's the right to an education with the supports needed. That is the law. And if you're not going to do that, you need to tell me why. I don't need to prove to you why you need to do your job. But I can bring examples. And I think that was usually when I, I remember when I'd say, this was my daughter and this is my son and why are you treating them different? And they would say, 
because Liam has Down syndrome and your daughter's neurotypical. And at that moment, I should have said, that's discrimination. You're treating my two children differently. You're giving them two different opportunities based solely on a diagnosis. It kind of goes about with the awareness is, you know, how were these people aware? Like, what were they aware of with Down syndrome? And it's just what they were told or what they experienced as they grew up not being with people with Down syndrome, you know, probably. I, you know, I would assume it would have been a little different if we had a sibling of someone with Down syndrome in our IEP. Oh, completely. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, when you look at awareness campaigns of all different peoples, usually it's, it's oh, we're, this is awareness of the great contributions that these people have brought to the world. Whatever the definition of awareness, whatever it is, a culture or whatever. Awareness campaigns, to me were, and they're fairly new in the span of how long Downsers has been in our society. They've been just bringing facts, trying to bring facts to the public. But basic, the, basic facts, maybe. Yeah, but I feel like, because well, I know what you're saying is that like bringing facts, but not from a, hey, fact, Chris Nitschik finished the Ironman. Hey, no. fact. No, um, I mean, from a bit, from, this is from, something hey, that we've all known about since we were younger. We know what Down syndrome is, but we still have to re-educate the public. But isn't, it's not fact, Down syndrome as a naturally occurring chromosomal pattern. It's not fact. No. Children can. No, it's. Their it's possibilities. Whatever quote unquote fact is, is could cause this problem. Could be this problem. Could, could. All yes. of it. Yeah, yeah. But couldn't they do that for every child? Like, yeah. should they do that for human awareness? These are all the things that we could encounter as a human being. If if that was the, the awareness campaign and I had to, you got that for your neurotypical child, that would be horrifying. If it was all of the challenges or negative possibilities. I always felt like it was, I was begging people to see my son. I was begging people in the nicest way, like saying, like when we'd bring uh, coffee to an IEP, I, you know, it's like, it's presenting these um, things that will make people like, like, it wasn't like, this is my kid. He is equal because of societal norms. The deck has been stacked against him. Individuals with Down syndrome were once sterilized, uh, institutionalized, uh, tried to be removed from society. There are societies who have almost 100% obliterated Down syndrome from their population. These aren't the facts that that it used it, it I always I always felt and I felt for the for the majority of this was that I was begging for people to see my son and to see him as equal and I was proving always trying to prove and prove and it was exhausting Now when we say equal the reason we're in the IEP is because let's plan around some challenges my child may have. There's a difference between creating accommodations and supports than just automatically 
denying that and putting a child away from a classroom, pulling them out of a classroom, doing a different classroom from the start. And not educating. No, that's not equal. Not educating is not equal. No, there's a difference between the what idea and FAPE are. There's a difference between idea, which is the supports to access the curriculum. That is, I think in, in each of our lives, we can think of any activity that we do that maybe someone we know does it differently or with more ease. So we use a support or an accommodation to bridge that gap so that you can exist together. And that is just a part of life. That was not my child's experience at his elementary school, Carpenter Community Charter. Because he needed supports. Because he needed supports and it was written in an IEP. Because every child needs supports. Most children need supports. But because it was written in that IEP, it became something instead of thank you for this guidance and how we can help your child to reach his potential, which is actually, there was so many posters that said supporting children to reach their potential. But instead of it being taken as that, it was weaponized as reasons why he shouldn't be there. Like a burden. A burden. And then it becomes a burden to parents. And this is something we know. This is something we've talked about and that we all experience. And, but the reason I talk about it now is because on this journey and in this phase of my awareness, I feel like that needs to be brought to awareness that needs to be brought out and quit, like quit carrying that burden, make it conversation, hold people accountable, hold educational institutions accountable for the actual education of our children. And if they decide they don't want to, and they do it so boldly with confidence. And I always feel if they're that bold and confident, then they should have no problem with you telling the rest of the world, the rest of the community, what their decision has been and telling everybody what their actions are, because I see it. I saw it during the pandemic from the general population of parents of children with neurotypical students who were receiving the same treatment that we always receive. And they didn't feel their children were supported. They didn't feel that they could access the curriculum. I mean, the conversations that were being had were conversations that I had had so often. And we've spoken about this before. That was that made the pandemic education, distance learning, the great equalizer. But they fought. Man, they fought hard and they, as a, as a, as a result of their, their bringing it and I mean, singing it from the mountaintops, this district isn't doing their job. These teachers aren't teaching my kids. Uh, they received all of these, like, we're going to help and make sure no one falls behind. We're going to, you know, bridge the gap. If your child fell behind, let us know and we'll provide them with the supports they need to catch up to where they're supposed to be. That is how every child should always be treated. They made their kids number one. That's where in, the, in our awareness campaigns during this month, 
to keep in mind making our children number one. That the idea of awareness isn't to bridge a gap to help the public understand my child. Like, it's to empower my child by showing all the great things my child is. Or how about uh, we'll make aware of injustices that are done. I'm going to show you how great my child is and what they're able to. And I'm going to let you know when somebody tries to limit them. I'm going to let you know when a system, yeah, is injustice, is stripping them of their rights. That'd be quite the awareness campaign. Well, I think that that's where, and it's hard because nobody wants to be the squeaky wheel. And I have to tell you, every time I write something that, that mentions the school or do a review on the school, it, it's a triggering experience. It really, like, I relive it. I am nauseous. I am overwhelmed. I, am, I have all of these feelings. But you, at the end of the day... I want to change it for people who come behind me and I want to change it going forward for my son. But it's changed for him now because he's in an inclusive environment. But anyone, I still have people reach out from that same school. I still have parents who attend Carpenter Community Charter reach out to me and tell me how they're still being denied supports, how they're still being told that to support their child is too much for them. They're still being told these things. Just think of all the energy they spend telling you that they can't support their child. If they put like a portion of that energy into actually supporting your child, because it's not that hard. We just had this discussion this morning about a habit that Liam gets in. And I said, you know, the truth is, if we wanted him to fix that, we would correct him two or three times and it would become a part of his vocabulary. It would become a part of what he does. They make it big. They make it more than it is. They make it into something other. And I think awareness would be on a gentler side to bring awareness to the fact that it's not that hard. It's not what you think it is. It's not what you've been told it is, but it is the law. And we are going to make a change and we're not going to be quiet about it anymore. We'll stand up in the PTA meetings when we discuss Carnival and say, Along with Carnival, what are the accommodations for individuals, sensory, light sensory, um, socio-emotional support? How can I support my child when he's taking that test that only if he passes it, he can go to the Carnival? What are the supports being used in that? How are we incorporating his services? I don't think it necessarily has to be a fight. I think it should be a collaboration. It should be a conversation. But no teacher should tell you they don't want to or it's too much. And the quicker that that is confronted, that kind of attitude is discussed, the quicker we move on to real change with that teacher and or the IEP itself. The quicker we don't let those things slide, the quicker we really call it out and make everyone aware. Right. I think that that is it, making people aware. So if you tell me I'm not going to educate your son, then I am going to write the principal and include the superintendent and include the district and include the 
special education department of the district and say, I was just informed by Mrs. Blank that educating my child is too stressful for her, too much for her. I do not believe that this is what education is, how it's outlined in IDEA. Maybe you can clarify and clarify for this teacher that it is a violation of my child's civil right, what she's saying. Because I'm sure no teacher intends on violating another child's civil right to an education. And maybe that teacher just needs some support. Maybe that teacher needs awareness of what supports are out there or how to support my son. It's not as hard. It's not as challenging. A few extra minutes on a test. Front-loading. A quiet space to take a test. Shorter spelling lists. These do not seem, actually, they seem like to make, that they might actually make it a little bit easier. Sometimes it takes some accommodations and supports for the teachers and administration. And that can happen internally, or sometimes you have to do it. And I don't mind being part of the solution. I can put my ego aside. I can step away from the fact that, yeah, I'm the parent and it shouldn't be my job, but until it's not my job, I can help. I can definitely help if it's going to change things, if it's going to keep my child in the classroom, I can help. I can be a support. Education is so important because when Liam first walked into, actually when Liam turned three, we started to have to fight for his education, for a preschool, for his preschool, we had to fight. When Liam stepped into Carpenter Community Charter for the first time as a kindergartner, there had already been such a legal battle to to get him there as a kindergartner. I look at pictures of him as a kindergartner, and he is the most adorable, able, kind, wonderful, filled with potential child. And I look at that picture, and we actually have a picture on the first day of him, his sister, and his lawyer for kindergarten. For kindergarten, we had to pay a lawyer to hold the school accountable to keep my child in a classroom with kindergartners. At that point, we were, I can't say laugh out loud. It was, come on, mom, you really want your child to be held to the same bar as the other students? Yes. Mom, the same bar. Yes. You want him to be held accountable to do the same work as his peers. Yes. Until I started to doubt myself. This was part of the fight. They didn't want him in the classroom. They didn't want him. They didn't, they didn't want, it's not for him to be accountable for the same work. They didn't want to be accountable to my child to teach him the same lessons. Liam is now in the seventh grade. And we fought that school up until the fifth grade. Answering that question as yes, every year. Yes, the same bar. With his supports, 
as the law says. Liam's in the seventh grade now doing science, writing paragraphs, learning about history and social studies, reading books, doing book reports. And none of that would have been possible if we hadn't been made aware by his preschool and we hadn't been made aware by his lawyer of the injustices in the education system for individuals with Down syndrome and individuals with learning differences and individuals with disabilities. Because we were made aware, we were on hyperdrive and we knew what could happen. Mostly, the most important fact is we knew what was wrong about what they were saying. We knew what our child's rights were. We knew what supports were out there. We knew people who had done it before him. We knew the possibility. We knew his potential. And we knew that we were not wrong, even though they wanted us to believe that we were wrong, to believe that our son had the same potential and possibility in his life as every other child. Awareness changed his life and the trajectory of it. And so this year for our awareness campaign, it's bringing awareness and making it a conversation so that change can come about for the individual with Down syndrome and for society as a whole. Because until we are all seen as equal, none of us are. Please follow us on Twitter at If We Knew Then Pod, and you can drop us a line on our Facebook page at If We Knew Then Pod, or visit our website, ifweknewthen.com, to send us an email with questions and comments. And you can join our mailing list there and get alerts of future podcast episodes. All these links will be added to this episode's show notes. Thank you again, and we look forward to you joining us on the next episode of If We Knew Then. Come and talk.